Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What's up, you guys? This is going to be our last episode on Dr. Jason Fung, lest you think this is going to be transformed into the Dr. Jason Fung podcast. We are going to cover other, other topics, but The Obesity Code was a book that changed my life, allowing me to go from 300 pounds to 230 pounds, from fat to trim, from unhealthy to healthy, to completely transform my life. And that's why I wanted to share it with you. And for this episode, we're going to discuss the key takeaways of the obesity code. Um, in particular, I'm gonna give you essentially the Cliff Notes version. I do strongly encourage you to read the book itself because what it will do is it will give you a framework to understand how to lose weight in its totality from a conventionally trained doctor um, who embraces uh, some of the newer theories, uh, well, the newer and older theories of weight loss and human health. Now, the diet space is still, it's just sort of like the Democrats and the Republicans. There's still a lot of people that argue with the key takeaways of Dr. Fung's book. But I'm telling you, read it. You're going to lose weight. You're going to get ripped. You're going to get jacked. And yeah, it really is that simple. Dr. Fung is not paying me any money. He's never met me. He did like one of my tweets once, but he is correct. I'm going to be dogmatic about it. And I'm also going to do subsequent episodes on the virtues of dogma and where nuance can lead us astray, especially as it applies to public policy questions, and also how to get fit and how not to be fat. So let's sum up where we've been so far. We've talked about Fung as a source, why he's so freaking awesome. Two, why Betty, the nutritionist, that just tells you to count calories, doesn't know what the hell she's talking about. Ignore Betty ignore Weight Watchers. It's all a bunch of crap. Yeah, there's some nuance. I'll, I'll get into that, but they're not, it's not total crap. And the insulin theory of obesity, which trust me, people, it's right. Um, yeah, there's some nuance to this. There's still Betty. Betty is still saying that the insulin theory of obesity isn't great and you still have to cut calories so that you can lose weight and you got to count. And if you don't do that, you're going to get fat. Don't listen to Betty. The insulin theory of obesity is correct. Trust me, just trust my judgment on this. But more importantly, trust Dr. Fung's judgment because he has stood the test of time and he is a medical doctor. So, and we'll have an ongoing discussions about some of these issues about, you know, it, am I placing too much weight on Dr. Fung? I'm, I'm not only reading Dr. Fung. I've basically read about 35 books over the last year Fung basically incorporates a lot of different things. I'm more nuanced than what you think. We'll get into that. Critics, I get it. I get where you're coming from. But we are going to get into the key takeaways so that your ass can lose weight and get fit and you can do it very simply. And then also we'll get into some dieting or, or eating meal timing approaches that Dr. Fung gets into in case you're one of those people that are like, yeah, like, dude, I don't have time to read 
And I don't like books. So if you don't like books, you know, that's a problem for you. I, I don't think you really understand a topic until you read the book. So what I'm saying is read the book. It's going to give you a framework. After I read it, I easily lost 70 pounds and I'm going to be fit for the rest of my life. I'm never going to get fat again. I hope I don't go on a food bender or else you're going to be like, remember when you said that? This is the guy who said he would never be fat again. I'm not, trust me, because I understand why. So I'm going to go through the key takeaways and I'm also going to give you sort of my feedback, my sort of lay perspective on the feedback and why I think ultimately, I think Fong's right in about just about everything. I think there were some things that I wish he would emphasize more, um, but I do think he's right. Um, and I love the way that he approaches this. I think it's why you should read Dr. Fung's book and Dr. Fung interview. Reach out to me. I'd love to interview Dr. Fung. That'd be really cool. I'd be like, oh my God. I am somebody, I'm going to be like Steve Martin and a jerk, you know, when he got his name in the telephone book and he's like, oh my God, I am someone. I am going to be someone if I ever get to talk to Dr. Jason Funk directly, I'll be like, oh my God, I'm interviewing Dr. Jason Funk. So let's get into his key takeaways and why I think he's so freaking right. Um, the first thing that he says is, and this is kind of from the keto school, but it's really correct. And, and it's, we're going to insult Betty a little bit more too, but basically cut your super refined sugars. Now, where's the debate here? You'd be like, duh, like I can't have a lot of candy bars and lose weight. Well, here's where the controversy is. A lot of the conventionally trained um, dietitians basically say, yeah, sure, if you eat a lot of sugar, you're going to gain weight, but, it, but it's basically just empty calories in that you can have it in moderation. Um, and whereas Dr. Fung is, no, that's not really the right approach because um, of the insulin spike and the insulin resistance. So, so keep in mind that the two sides of that coin that we discussed and the other thing, which is it's super refined um, food, which is why your body likes it, which leads to the insulin spike. But more importantly, um, requires your body to produce more and more insulin in response to the food stimulus, preventing your ability from being, a, your body's ability to really tap into its fat stores. Ultimately, I think that absolutely is correct, um, that view. And by the way, it's not just Dr. Fung. I mean, basically the entire keto movement is, is really the foundation of that is the insulin theory of obesity. I mean, that's why it works. That's why they believe it. And I think most powerfully, when you do clean keto um, with intermittent fasting, you are going to lose weight, take it to the bank. And the reason why I think ultimately Dr. Fung is right on this, and this will also get into his second recommendation. So his first recommendation is get rid of or, or significantly reduce your refined sugars, your candy bars, your, your juices. Your, um, your donuts, all of those sorts of things. And donuts are the, you get the refined carbs in the form of the sugar plus the wheat. That, so that's his first one. The second one is get rid of the refined grains. And notice what he's saying here, refined grains. He's not saying low carbs. And I think I'd have to ask him on this, but I think the reason why he's not saying low carbs, you know, one of the things that's really lost in this, this sort of, macronutrient discussion is all of the really awesome carbs. There's a lot of good carbs out there because a lot of carb people are like, what the hell? There's so many good, healthy carbs. 
And one of the problems with a low carb uh, sort of approach, and I have to ask Dr. Fung on this to see if this is why, is that as long as it's not highly refined um, and there are um, you know, ways in which the body can slowly digest it, or if you're adding olive oil, or if you're adding um, vinegar or um, fiber, there are things that essentially slow that digestion process. So you're not, it does, it's not quite as much of an insulin spike. And there's a lot of good nutrients associated with carbs. And there's a, there are a lot of good slow carbs. And that's one of the things with like keto. Keto isn't necessarily low carb, right? Um, it's sort of been pigeonholed as that, but it is not low carb. It can be, there's a lot of good carbs. And this is one of the things that he talks about um, in his book, that there are plenty of really good carbs out there. And so what are some of the good carbs that he talks about for the, um, the good carbs? So here are some of the good carbs that he talks about. Carbs like eggplant, kale, spinach, carrots, broccoli, peas, Brussels sprouts, tomatoes, asparagus, bell peppers, zucchini, cauliflower, avocados, lettuce, beets, cucumbers, watercress, cabbage, among others, are all extremely healthy carbohydrates. And I think that's why he talks about the refined grains is that, and even with the refined grains in the forms of bread, even traditionally produced bread, like a, like a German rye bread or a sourdough bread is less insulin spiking than the highly refined carbs. You know, my mom was not really a health nut, but she knew that Wonder Bread, I mean, talk about the worst of the worst candidates. Wonder Bread is pure garbage. You get the double whammy of um, the insulin spike, plus you get hardly any nutrients, and plus your body thinks it's getting fed, but then it starts getting addicted. So basically what he's saying is, is that it's not only um, lowering your carbs, it's really, he, he zeroes in on the bad types of carbs, which are highly refined sugar and highly refined grains, okay? And I think that's really critical to understand. The other piece of this that I think he needs to emphasize even more in his book and he does a little bit, but I think more of the keto people get into this is, is, is the question of the addictive nature of these highly refined processed foods. Basically, what are they? They're junk food, right? And so even setting aside this whole macronutrient discussion of carbs versus fats versus protein, you know, those are the big three macronutrients. What's the problem with junk food, right? I mean, I, he should have this is that just basically stop eating junk food. There's no nutrient benefit to potato chips, right? Why the hell do we eat these things? And again, Betty, the nutritionist, she's going to agree with me that, you know, potato chips are bad, but Betty's going to say, well, as long as you don't, as long as you're not eating too many of them, if you're, if you're just having a little bit, you, you, it's okay. Like a little indulgent, like a little snack. So when you're getting rid of the sugar, you're getting rid of the desserts, you're getting rid of the pops, all this empty calories that doesn't serve any purpose. And when you're getting rid of the processed foods like the highly refined grains and the potato chips, what you're getting rid of is food that one is calories that serve no purpose, right? It's one thing it's like, oh my God, I'm eating these calories, but they're doing something for me. They're not really doing much for you. But two, and here's the key that I think you should emphasize even more 
in terms of emphasizing why these processed foods are so bad. So Dr. Fung, if you're listening, you should have put this in your book and you should have emphasized it even more, is that it's addictive. And we all know this, that the more potato chips you eat, the hungrier you get. So that alone tells you that your satiation, your satiety hormones within your body are being hijacked. And the companies know this, and they're trying to create a sense of addiction to the food. So you, the consumer, are stuffing your pie hole all of the time. Now, this is where, now, one of the interesting things in terms of this carbs good, carbs bad argument is they talk about, well, yeah, if you guys say carbs are bad, what about China? China. China, um, China, they have a lot of carbs. What about places like Okinawa, where like 85% of their diet is carbohydrate? What about them? Why aren't they all really fat? They, they're not really fat. And so you're saying that they're all really, carbs are bad, but what about them? Well, okay, I think they make a good point. And I think that's one of the reasons why Dr. Fung really isn't saying low carb. So he's kind of keto. He's kind of keto, but he's more keto-ish because I don't think he wants to get trapped into this sort of this netherworld of carbs good, carbs bad, because then people get confused. Not all carbs are bad. Some carbs are good. And especially the ones that aren't refined. And so in response to that Chinese or that Japanese or that Asian food model, where he's basically saying, yeah, you're right, they are higher in carbs, but what are they? They are, um, and I guess white rice is a little bit refined, but you're eating it with other things and you're mixing it in with vegetables and you're also doing three meals a day. So you're not getting the insulin spikes in response to the food stimulus. And here's the key point is that you're not eating the highly refined processed foods that are designed to hijack your hunger signals. So you're not eating too much of that. So like if you have a really good um, Chinese meal, like from a really good Chinese, not, not like the fast food Chinese, but a really good meal, where you're eating a lot of rice, um, and you, but you're eating it with, with meats, and vegetables, and it's really well prepared, yeah, you are um, feeling good. Now, if you have that, what's that one salt, that one sort of salt having some Asian foods, the fast food stuff, well, a lot of us eat too much of that does kind of make you feel hungry. Now, I'm not a big fan of rice, especially during the day, in part because your body just, oh my gosh, it just soaks up all that food and you kind of feel exhausted. So I've kind of gotten rid of the carbs during the day just because of how it makes me feel. Um, but that's something that I think is, um, he's right on, is that I think this carb stuff, so it's, so I guess point two really should be cut the, cut the crap, get rid of your pop, get rid of your highly refined grains, your Wonder Breads, most forms of wheat-based bread, unless they're sort of like the kind that you'd get that are like, you know, a good rye bread or a good sourdough, but even that, try to keep it somewhat limited and get rid of the potato chips. And you're like, well, duh, that's not that easy. That's not that hard to understand. I'm like, well, yeah, it is because a lot of people are still fat because they're eating all these damn potato chips. So stop eating the junk food because one, it does not address your hunger. And number two, it makes you more hungry and you eat too much, which is 
one of the areas where I think Betty is right. Yeah. If you eat too many calories, like if you're having keto and you're having, you know, 10 keto meals a day, yeah, you're going to put on weight. You're going to get fat. If you're having 10 hamburgers a day, even though there's not a huge insulin spike with it, you're going to get fat. Not as fat as what you would think though. And so that's one of the reasons why ultimately I think that proves keto is correct in terms of its belief in the insulin theory of obesity. There have been experiments on that where people try to overeat doing the keto diet and they don't put on as much weight as you think, um, as opposed to the carb-based diet. That's one of the reasons why I do think ultimately that recommendation is good. So step three that he talks about is moderating your protein intake. So for this one, I probably could have done without this. Um, I think really what he's getting at, a lot of keto people don't necessarily like super high protein foods because of the insulin. It can produce insulin. Um, it, it can cause difficulty in terms of losing weight. But here, I probably could have done without it because I think ultimately, if you're eating a really good keto-based diet, you're going to get your protein. So you don't really have to worry about that as much. I think that's what he's getting at. Certain people that get super stoked about protein, like bodybuilders, like, yeah, man, I need to get major protein so I can get jacked. Like the people that like the beefcakes that like walk around on the beach in California. These people are doing, a lot of these people are doing steroids anyway. So Dr. Funk, I probably could have done without this one because I don't think it's really that helpful. I think really what he's getting into is he doesn't want these protein shakes or powders. Um, you're also going to have, and I think the very lean meats, he's not as um, worried about that. I think basically what he's saying is just don't OD on, on protein. Um, I probably could have done without that one because there, I think there is some good nuance there that if you're lifting weights a lot, if you're a really active person, you probably could eat some more protein. But the other punchline to that is if you're eating a good keto diet, you're eating your eggs or you're having your bacon, you're having your steak, that, that would be called dirty keto, but you're also having the good carbs in moderation that he had talked about, you know, like your eggplants, like your kales, like your spinach, like your lettuce, like your avocado, like your cauliflower. You're going to, you're going to get plenty of, you're going to get plenty of protein. So I, I probably could have done without that particular recommendation in terms of what to eat, um, increase your consumption. And, and so that's number three, increase your consumption of natural fats. Here he's talking about the good fats, right? Not like the, the, the trend, like not, not the sort of the garbage fats that you get like Crisco oil. So don't start drinking Crisco in the store and like mix a little Crisco oil into your, um, that's the artificial stuff. That's like the seed oil fat. It's like super bad for you. So not, not that kind of fat, but the good fat, like the kind of fat, but he was talking about like, Hey, you know, the fat that is in a good steak, right? Leave that in. Um, the fat that comes into an avocado, you know, 30 years ago, people were so freaked out about fat. They're even like, no oh, avocado. It has a lot of fat. So it's bad. Even Betty, Betty still believes that shit. I mean, it's kind of crazy that she still does. But uh, yeah, so the, the good fats, the nuts, the steak, the bacon, it's good. And don't worry about the arthral sclerosis. I mean, he's talked about that. There are peer-reviewed studies that talk about, um, you know, essentially the virtues of, uh, that it's not as risky as you had thought in terms of clogging up your arteries, um, especially if you're talking about natural fats. So, and that can be a whole other podcast where we can get into that, but I'm not as concerned about that, especially where you're reducing your weight. There's been a lot of studies that have shown that, um, that, the, that the heart risk 
associated with a higher fat diet is not nearly what he thought it once was. But keep in mind too, if you're getting out of obesity land, right? And so even to the extent that there is, I think here's my key takeaway with that whole fat and arthrosclerosis, which is when your arteries, the arteries get clogged, clogged or the heart disease part of it, is that this helped me get out of obesity, right? And so essentially I had much lower blood pressure, got off of my meds, exercise a lot more, do a lot more meditation. It really got me on the healthy track such that I'm a lot less worried about that. So if I'd have a heart attack like tomorrow, you'd be like, holy shit, he was wrong. But I'm not concerned about that. I think a lot of doctors have looked at this causal link between high fats and heart disease. Uh, so I, th I think generally from my review of what they've, what they've been talking about is that it generally still holds true if you're talking about the highly processed fats. So with the seed oils, um, that is gonna, that's gonna cause more of a problem. But ultimately, if you're having really good um, natural meats, natural, you know, avocado fats, those sorts of things, you're, that's really going to be a key takeaway. Um, so that's number four is, is look for, the, and that's just basically any good, clean keto diet. We're eating good meats and the veggies that are good, that are essentially the lower glycemic veggies that don't, you know, spike your insulin levels throughout the day. But here's the key thing with fat is that it's very satiating, it's very energy dense, and that's one of the reasons why we crave fat in the first place. So that is something that I think absolutely has held true in terms of my own journey of weight loss is that it also addressed the hunger issue, which is really key. And I think nearly everyone agrees that, and this is one I quoted in one of my other podcasts I did in the work of Dr. Jason Fung, that the risks associated with being obese are off the charts. I think nearly everyone agrees with that. Um, in terms of just your mortality, the risk of dying from having a body mass index over 30 is significant over time. So that should be the real key focus and keep your eye on the bowl, ball. And then step five, he gets into consumption of fiber and vinegar. This wasn't really something that I had thought a lot about, but here's where all the keto people get into when you're looking at like a candy bar, you're looking at your net carbs, total amount of carbs minus the amount of fiber, your net carbs, that's what you can have for your 50 50 gram a day budget for keto. Um, I haven't looked at this, you know, so a lot of keto people want you to keep your carbs under essentially 20 grams um, per day. And even some of them talk about 50 and below. I mainly do that as it applies to sugar. So if there's something where I'm talking about highly processed sugar or the highly refined grains, I'll kind of do that. But here's the other thing too, that I think is now happening in the keto space that had happened in the low fat craves is that if you're talking about keto junk food, what's the problem with that? If it's highly palatable and you're eating too much of it, you don't think it counts. Here's where Betty's kind of right. Then you're eating too much. So if you're having 20 keto candy bars a day, that's not good. So really I, I would just get rid of the processed foods period to the extent you can. And if you are going to have the processed foods, um, count your carbs then. But I think one of the reasons why he doesn't, he's never too much into the counting cars because then we start losing sight of the real healthy carbs that I think really are very healthy. So those are the five things that he talks about for those of you who are like, well, man, I don't like to read. It's reduce your consumption of added sugars, step one. This is huge. Um, you know, I know of my brother when he was younger, he used to drink a lot of pop and he put on a lot of weight. But then when he stopped drinking Pepsi, boom, he lost a ton of weight, got really fit. Um, 
reduce your consumption of refined grains, stop your donuts, stop your highly your Wonder Bread. And I think here he should have said, stop eating junk food. Potato chips suck. Not even as a little indulgence. And the other part of it with getting rid of your sugars and your refined grains is you're basically cutting out dessert. So how are, I mean, that's just, just good advice. Moderate your protein. Here I'd probably quibble with him a little bit. If you're eating keto, you're going to get plenty of protein anyway. I don't think that's going to be an issue. And if you're an athlete, especially, you're going to have higher protein needs. So here you might you might want to increase that. But I think he's basically trying to keep it as simple as possible so people can actually follow it. Number four, increase your consumption of natural fats. I think this is absolutely key. This is very keto um, because you're you're really satiating your 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 body and you feel fed and so you don't eat so much. And the other part of it is, is increase your consumption of fiber and vinegar. And here again, you're going to get a lot of fiber with just the certain types of the certain types of the good carbs that are contain naturally occurring fibers. Um, you're, you're, it's going to slow your, your the insulin spike, not make them quite so glycemic, and you're going to be able to feel satiated. They're very healthy. They can contain a lot of natural nutrients and things like that. And then also vinegar, which is also something he uses the example with certain types of vinegar um, can essentially totally counteract um, some of the, um, the insulin spike associated with sugar. Um, so let's see what, what he talks about here. There's one quote that he has in the actual book where he talks about vinegar um, added to sushi rice reduces its glycemic index by 20% from 40 to 20. Um, fish and chips are often eaten with malt vinegar. So apple, he, he recommends a daily apple cider vinegar, just a little tablespoon once or twice a day. Make sure you brush your teeth because ap too much apple cider vinegar can really corrode some of your teeth. So don't do too much of it. But so that's really what it is. Reduce your consumption of added sugars, reduce your consumption of refined grains, moderate your protein intake, increase your consumption of natural fats, and increase your consumption of fiber and vinegar. And here's what I think you should. Cut out the junk food. You don't need it to live. Even Betty is saying, so what Betty says about junk food is not that it's great to eat. She, she's not that dumb. She's learned something. But it's, it's, it's the, but she's basically saying you can have it as like a little treat. Like, oh, well, you have a little, have a little candy bar or have a little potato chips if it's part of your food budget. Well, the problem with that, Betty, is it, it's kind of like having, I'm going to have a little bit of crack. That's my critique of people like with alcohol, which uh, that's my added thing to stop drinking mostly. You can have a little bit to indulge now and then, but um, stop junk food because can you have a little bit of crack? Can you have a little bit like people like, oh, well, you can safely have one to two glasses of wine. Who the hell only has two glasses of wine? I mean, I mean please. If you're watching Netflix and you got a box of wine, you get a little buzz going, you are going to have more than a couple of glasses of wine. I mean, if you, if you, if you don't, good for you, but eh, most people do. So just cut out the alcohol too. Cut out the alcohol, cut out the beer, except occasionally on the weekends, you can have it. Or when you're biking, you can have a little bit. It's okay. You can indulge. But for the most part, he doesn't really emphasize a lot about alcohol. I think that's a big omission too, because I don't think if you're having four or five drinks a day, guarantee it, you're fat. If you're overweight, guarantee it. Um, unless you're like smoking a lot of cigarettes or something or like some mega athlete. If you have four or five drinks a day, which most of the people, if you're drinking every day, that's probably what you're having. You're going to be fat. You're going to be overweight, period. So he should have emphasized that a little bit more. So Dr. Fung 
put that in your next book. The other thing with alcohol is it's appetite stimulating. So if you're going to try to then cut off your eating, um, you know, after seven o'clock and you're drinking wine, you're, you're going to snack. So that's the what, but here's really the punchline. Um, and that's really standard keto advice, which is higher fat, moderate protein, and carbs. Well, he, he really narrows down to the types of carbs that he doesn't like. But here's the other punchline of the book, when to eat. And that's really what he's known at. I think in terms of there are certain people that are more keto, um, higher fat, lower carb, moderate protein. There's other people that are more into fasting, which they're more interested in when you're eating as opposed to what you're eating. He's mostly known as sort of a fasting guy, um, one of the original doctors, because of the clinical results that he got based upon intermittent fasting. One of the things he talks about in a lot of his videos is this question of, hey, if you're from South Asia and they've been eating a certain way for their whole life or wherever, he's in Toronto, so it's a very international city, he's not going to tell them to change their diet. But here's the punchline of that, is that when you eat, this is one of the things he says in the book, in terms of weight loss, is twice as important as what you eat. Let me say that again. When you eat is twice as important as what you eat, according to Dr. Fung, and as confirmed by moi, and of one, I have zero credentials relating to weight loss. Other than the fact that I have lost 70 pounds after reading Dr. Fung. So that's to come up for something. But I can tell you to read Dr. Fung's book and you get a sense of why fasting works and it gives you a model for your weight loss as opposed to listening to Betty. Because Betty doesn't, Betty's still telling you to eat six times a day. You are not going to lose weight if you eat six times a day. And if you do, you're going to be constantly hungry and ornery and hangry and you're going to rebound and you're going you're to maybe lose some weight. And you'll be like, listen here, mofo, you said I couldn't lose weight six times a day. And then you're exercising your work and then you're going to balloon up again. You're going to go on the yo-yo if you do that. So don't do that. Listen to Dr. Fun. Listen to the, and, and so basically these keto, these keto plus intermittent fasting, they're the ones that are right. So, but when you eat is twice as important as what you eat. Um, and that is the real key takeaway of the book. I mean, that one chapter on what, that's really just a, a keto approach, right? Um, but when you eat, here's where, and of course he acknowledges fasting has been around for thousands of years. I mean, human evolution is based upon food scarcity. And so there, what he's basically saying is, is that whether it's, you know, setting aside high carb, low fat or high fat, low carb, or the zone diet, which is everything in between, he's concerned about the insulin spike. He, that's what he essentially agrees with, right? And so with the insulin spike, you get that from eating any type of food. That's, that includes, even, even uh, if you're eating high fat, that you're going to, because your body needs insulin. So not, they're not saying insulin's bad. And when you are not eating throughout the day, your body starts learning how to, once you've sort of gone through your energy reserves, you've gone, you, your body has used the glucose, it has gone in into your liver, and then it's tapped in some of the glycogen, right? So that's gotten that food store. And then once you don't have any, you know, there's no presence of insulin, it's like, oh my gosh, where am I going to get my food? Then it knows how to essentially tap into its fat stores. And that's that stored energy that you will get. And that's one of the reasons why you don't get the blood sugar drops because your body knows how to regulate. This is one of the things he's kind of funny because he's like, you know, because one of the reasons why Betty's like, oh my gosh, you shouldn't fast. 
because you're going to become hypo, hypoglycemic. You're going to have these really, really low blood sugars and you're like going to die. That, that's one of the things. That's one of the critiques. One of the things he says is that's a bunch of crap. So we're saying is that when we were out in the Savannah, when we were evolving for 3.5 million years and we didn't eat for a couple of days, we were going to die. No way. In fact, the human body has actually evolved in the absence of food that you're going to be alert. Your, your adrenaline is going to be pumping because you have to be on your A game to be able to survive. And so in terms of when to eat, he's like, at the very least, if you want three meals a day, right, um, cut out your snacks, right? Cut out your um, mid-morning snack and cut out your mid-afternoon snack. Now that's much easier to do if you're not having a lot of carbs, because one of the things he indicates in the actual book is that higher carbs really stimulate your gremlin, gremlin, not gremlin, your ghrelin, the hunger hormone. And that's where you see these spikes throughout the day where your, your body is predicting that it's going to eat. And that's why you're eating throughout the day and you're keeping yourselves in an elevated insulin level. Um, and so it's like, cut out the snacks. If you're going to stick with three meals a day, right? And then stop eating after seven o'clock. And even for the calorie counting people, the three meals a day framework, what is that going to give you? That's going to vary. You are going to reduce your calories because if you're eating throughout the day, it's just easier to um, eat too much, especially if you're snacking all the time. So that is going to have the effect of reducing your calories. But even more powerfully, he talks about cutting breakfast. Um, because, and what's the problem with breakfast? Well, it's not only you get that insulin spike, but the problem with breakfast is so many of the breakfast foods, we're in a rush when we get up in the morning. So we're going to, you know, have donuts and Pop-Tarts, again, highly processed, refined sugars. And this is pure garbage. And yeah, it gives you a little bit of energy in the form of the glucose that you get, but you are then now craving that food and you're addicted to the food. And that's why you feel so hungry at mid-morning. And so not when you cut breakfast out, not only are you getting rid of the garbage that most of us eat, um, you're, you're, you're getting off that hunger yo-yo that you feel throughout the day. And then occasionally he advises the longer term fat. So I think for the most part, if you look at his eating routine, I think pretty much he's an intermittent faster, eight hour eating window, two meals a day, one at noon, one at dinner, good enriching foods that he's eating. He's not eating the rest of the day and he's drinking liquids. He's making sure his electrolytes are up. Um, I like the element, the element um, which is to Rob Wolf, um, really great for electrolytes you should be drinking. Then he talks about just having a good multivitamin just to make sure that you're getting all of your nutrients. And that's really it. Now, the other thing with this is that so many people spend so much money on weight loss books and diet coaches and all this stuff, but it's, you really don't need to. I mean, that, that's it. I mean, and I think even if you don't even want to follow all the fat, even if you want to eat junk food, even he says this, I'm not for junk food, but even in the 60s, well, why weren't we all fat in the 60s when we had a lot of highly processed carbs, TV dinners? Why don't we start getting really fat until the 70s, late 70s? Well, he offers an explanation, and I actually believe that it's true, that in the late 70s, we had the convergence of eating a lot throughout the day and having high carbs throughout the day, and then also introducing the snack. So you had essentially a double whammy of insulin spikes plus excess of calories, which is caused by the highly processed foods. So the occasional longer term fast, most people that I've seen in the, in the fasting space talk about, you know, every once a quarter or so, 
do a 24, 48 hour fast. It's not hard once you're used to it and you can get super healthy and it's really that easy. And um, that's it. I mean, you're going to lose weight if you do this. In fact, I'd be curious to see, you know, a lot of the, um, a lot of the keto is still considered the insulin theory. Uh, insulin theory is still not adopted by conventional medical science. They're still drinking the calorie in calorie out model. It's all about counting calories. And that usually the people that are still advocating for that, um, usually they're, they're academics because they're, 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 they're sort of stuck in. If it's not peer review, it's not real, right? Um, they are people that have always been fit in their life, right? So there are certain people that are like the 29-year-old doctor that, you know, did his first residency. And it's like, yeah, well, here are all the studies and I'm really smart. And they're like a Jack wrestler or something. So they've never been fat. They've never, they've never had to really lose weight. Or you get someone who is fat and is still eating all this garbage and they just think, oh, well, they know that they should reduce their calories, but they, they just really, you know, they just, they know they're doing it wrong, but they really know in their heart that to really lose weight, you need to basically just be able to reduce their calories. So a lot of times you see the people that are critiquing the insulin theory, you know, I don't know what the hell they're looking at, but I think they're full of crap. I really do. I don't think they know what the hell they're talking about. So why has keto been so strong in the last 25, 30 years, especially when now it's been coupled with, you know, being fat, you mix intermittent fasting and keto, you are going to get jacked. And one of the reasons why keto has been so successful is that people lose weight and they lose weight effortlessly. And I think the other thing is with keto, which is what is keto? High fat, moderate protein, low carbs. We've talked about whether that's really the right approach in terms of carbs, because there are a lot of really good carbs out there. We got to start a carb association, like people who love good carbs. There are good carbs out there, but the people are losing weight and they're losing weight effortlessly because they are controlling their hunger, which is key to being able to get fit and to get jacked. So you're going to lose weight if you do that. If you've struggled for a long time, it's not hard. Keto plus intermittent fasting, that's it. Um, and why that's so hard to understand, I have no idea why, but I was 300 pounds until I was 45. Now I weigh like 235-ish, um, been down to 230, I don't want to get back up, but um, you know, it's, it's not hard. And I've, I've now kept it off for 18 months, know that I'm going to keep it off. And uh, you know, that, that's pretty much it. So friends, this is going to be my last episode on Dr. Jason Fung. Um, you know, I, these seem to be the episodes that seem to be intriguing people the most. My, uh, history episodes are kind of bomb. So I think I'm probably going to evolve into more of a fasting podcast. We'll see what I end up doing. Um, I'm still going to keep it interesting. I'm going to do a lot of different types of content. If, uh, if you're still here and you're still listening, holy cow, get a life man or woman. She is. No, hey, this is good. This is good. If you're here so far, thank you. Because. Um, what we're trying to do here is, is basically talk about what I'm interested in, but not only that, but what you're interested in. Fasting seems to be something that's very important, and you guys have been very interested in that. So we're going to continue to do the high-quality content relating to fasting, but all different sorts of pop, uh, topics in, in the um, fasting space. Um, and so you can actually improve your life. Um, it's, a, it's a liberal arts podcast, and so we're going to have a, a multivariate approach. 
Um, and we'll see, maybe we'll end up focusing more on fast and become like the Rocky Fast podcast, but we'll see. So infinite gratitude to you, um, what we have in store for upcoming podcasts. We're going to do one on my friend Clemens Erdahl, good mentor um, out of Iowa City, kind of a real life Atticus Finch. Um, we're also going to do an episode on Edward Everett. Uh, well, mostly Edward Everett, but we're going to also do the Gettysburg Address with Abe Lincoln. And I kind of got a soft spot of Everett, you know, Lincoln does the Gettysburg Address and does it like two minutes. Everett speaks for two hours. And I'm actually, I'm actually going to read that speech. And we're going to talk about some of the kernels from Edward Everett's speech. He's kind of a guy after my own heart. He kind of likes to talk. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? I think it's okay to like to talk, especially if you're kind of a character. So we're going to try to rehabilitate Edward Everett. It's, kind, it's still kind of a crappy speech, but I'm actually taking the time to go through it and learn from it. And, um, you know, talk about some of the amazing parts of not only the Gettysburg Address, but we'll juxtapose it with the, the speech by Edward Everett. So infinite gratitude to every single one of you. Please send out, please spread the message of what we're doing on the Rockney Cast on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, all places where podcasts are heard. Um, we're going to launch online here relatively soon. So we're going to you'll be able to watch my mug on TV. And uh, just thank you so much for tuning in um, on the Rockney Cast. Keep spreading the word, keep growing our audience so that you and I can create high quality content together. Infinite gratitude to you, friends. Can't wait to see you next time. Um, but we're going to keep doing this good stuff for you. But until next time, on the Rockney Cast, we will talk again. Thank you.